are we doing? Alright, All right, let's pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you. You are a good God. We thank you that you love us. That you desire a relationship with us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you come and speak to us, challenge us, grow us, make us more like Jesus. Come fill this place. That Jesus may be glorified. We pray. Amen. <clears throat> I want to talk to you tonight about growing your family relationships. Now's a good time to hit that first line. We'll work this out. That's the one. So it's investment tips for growing your family relationships. Warren Buffett, who is one of the richest men in America, worth, you know, his billions and everything else, has a company called Berkshire Hathaway. And a few years ago, he started offering investment tips for people to learn about his strategies and so on. And people signed up in their hundreds and their thousands and their tens of thousands to try and make their billions like he did. And if you ask most people, you say to them, if you could sit down for you know, a couple of hours with Warren and, and uh, get some investment tips, would you? And there aren't many people who would say no. Most people would say, yep, yep, I'm there, I'd love to do that. But if you think about it, your family is one of your greatest assets. It's some of the best capital that you have. If you could get some investment tips to grow your family, would you be interested? Cool. Then I'm going to give you some. We hold in our hands a treasure of investment strategies. They're all in here. The Bible's full of fantastic investment strategies to be able to grow your family and to improve it and to make it all that God made it to be. Is that my mic? Do you want me to change it? Yeah, because it's annoying me, so it must be annoying you. So, first tip I want to talk about a lot of this comes out of Colossians chapter 3. Let's just read Colossians chapter 3 while we get our flow going. It really helps if you're in the right page when we're talking about it. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I think we should stop there, right? But how many people do? You know, that's it. Wives, submit. The next verse says, Husband, loves your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Then it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So out of those, we're told that there's, there's an instruction for everybody. And if you've got to take, it's not so much taking the literal wordage, it's taking the heart of what Paul's saying. He's not trying to say, you know, wives, submit to your husband, become a doormat. That's all there is to it, all right? Because in another passage, husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church. But we'll talk about some of that later on. Let's go to tip number one. Let's move through this. 
Tip number one is understanding each other. How many people own a, a smartphone? How many people use 100% of the capability of their phone? <laughs> I remember the days when, when VCRs came out, you know, and the challenge to match your VCR to your TV was amazing. You know, nowadays I can get an app that controls the, you know, the, heart, the, the recorder and does all this and that, and I can do it all from an app on my phone. But back then they had massive remotes and, you know, these things that they just never, ever tuned. You know, the TV never, ever tuned to the video. They never matched up. It was always a, an issue and you sit there for ages and then the power would go off. You'd have to retune the whole thing back in again. And there's no smart TVs. These are dumb TVs. All right. And so it's sort of like, you know, it's one thing to own things. It was another thing to work out how the thing actually worked. And that's how it is in a relationship. It's one thing to have a husband, to have a wife, to have brothers, to have sisters, to have parents, to have children. It's another thing to work out how they work. Yeah? The story told of a, a young teenage boy who just got his driver's license. And when he got home, he asked his father, who was a minister of a church, he said, look, Dad, can we have a discussion about the use of the car? So his father took him into the study, and he said to the boy, I'll make a deal with you. You bring up your grades at school. You study your Bible a little, mem memorize a few verses, get a haircut, and then we'll talk about the use of the car. So after about a month, the son came back and said to his father, can we discuss the car? They went to the study. The father said, son, I'll be very proud of you. You brought your grades up. You've been studying your Bible diligently, but you didn't get your haircut. The young man waited a moment. He said, dad, look, you're a minister, so you understand this. I've been thinking very hard about that, reading my Bible. You know... Samson had long hair. He was called by God to have long hair. Moses had long hair. Noah had long hair. Look, even Jesus had long hair. And his father interrupted him at that point and said, Son, they walked everywhere they went. It's challenging, isn't it? To understand different generations, to understand different sexes. You know, they the wrote a book, you know, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. Well, if men are from Mars, women are not even in this solar system. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like sometimes we come from different planets and so on. But Peter says, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way because she's a woman. Pretty obvious. He calls her the weaker vessel. You can debate that one. But he says, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so your prayers may not be hindered. Here's a challenge, guys, to grant our wives honor. Do you know what that word honor means? You're going to love me for this, guys. The word honor is equivalent of lavishing amazing gifts upon her. Modern-day context, take her shopping and spend up big. That's the word used there. You translate it into a modern context, that's what it means. Spend up big on your wife. And all the women said, but he calls her a fellow heir of the grace of life. In other words, it's not about one being superior to the other. It's about being equal, about honoring each other, Ephesians says. Ephesians says to submit to one another. And he was talking about marriage. He was talking about us as a church. He was talking about every relationship. And it's interesting that it says that your prayers will not be hindered. And I was thinking about that, thinking, why would your prayers be hindered? And it's really quite simple. It comes back to that whole forgiveness thing. That if you have something against somebody else, it actually hinders your prayers. 
It works the same in your relationship with your parents, with your kids, with your spouse, with brothers, sisters, with those around you. If you are holding things against people, they create a blockage in your life. So be understanding. Try and see life through the other person's eyes. Think about walking in their shoes a bit. How is it for them? What does it mean to understand the other person? I mean, here's an extreme example. But there was a guy who was an Eagles fan. So obviously a real winner. But he had a son who developed an interest in the Dockers. Now, this guy is, is a hero in my book to do this. He took his son to as many Dockers games as he could. He'd go there, he'd sit next to him, he'd cheer. He'd spent time and money on tickets, you know. He'd buy him hats and scarves and, you know, they'd go to training sessions and watch them train. One day he was at one of these training sessions and this guy walked up to him and said, you must really, really love the Dockers. And the guy said, no, I don't actually, but I love my son. I mean, I don't understand how you love the Dockers, but Ken manages it, so it's all right. <laughs> but that's what it takes, that this guy, even though it wasn't his interest, it wasn't what he was into, he chose to go and do it, and not just do it, but do it enthusiastically. Think about the people in your world, your family. What do they get enthusiastic about? Even if it doesn't rock your bones, it's a choice to go and be enthusiastic about it, to be there with them. You know, we always want people to come with us. We want them to come our way. We want them to come and join us. We want them to, to do our thing. But what about their thing? Jesus went out and he met people where they were at. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Really important. A guy called Yogi Berra said, you can hear an awful lot by just listening. Take the time to actually listen. Tip number two is keep commitments to each other. You want to invest in a good relationship? You want to build a good relationship? Then do what you say. It's as simple as that. If you make a commitment, stick by it. A wise man once said, to be generous with praise but cautious with promises. Be generous in encouraging people, but be careful what you promise. Can you actually deliver? As parents, we need to do everything we can to keep our promises for kids, for our spouses. For children, it's also about keeping your promises to your parents, to your other siblings. When we keep our commitments, it builds trust. There's no such thing as a healthy relationship apart from trust. Trust is the foundation on which a family is built. And I personally, I actually struggle with trust. I grew up in an environment where people were coming, going all the time, and it was a deal for me to trust. And I still have to work on trust. My wife reminds me that I have these trust issues I've got to work through. Because I didn't have... In my, like my younger years, I didn't have a close friend. Our family was people coming and going constantly. You know, my parents took in short-term foster kids on a, and who had been abused and so on, and, and the turnover was, was huge. And I was sent amazed that through all that time, there was actually nobody my age. They were always older than me or much, much younger. And when you're, when you're six or seven, that's a big deal. You know, I didn't have a lot of friends at school because we lived out of town and it was a big deal. You couldn't really go over someone's place because anyway, home was like, you know, a 40-minute bus ride and things like that. <clears throat> and I worked out through this that I had trust issues, that I didn't disclose things to people. And when you're in a relationship with anybody, you can't have trust issues. I'm not saying cast your pearls before swine, but in a marriage, you've got to trust your partner. You've got to trust your kids. And so... I found I have to work through this, and I have to keep working through it. 
I even went radical and went and saw a counsellor a couple of months ago. They didn't do anything for me. It was a terrible experience, but, you know. <clears throat> I'm not against counsellors, just this one in particular. <laughs> she had this obsession with colours. And, and, and she'd say to me, she said, maybe we can express this through colours. I'm going, what? She goes, pick a colour, any colour. Okay, now, I'm not a colour person. Colour is, is not my thing, but it was her thing, all right? And that was the problem with the session. It was all about her thing. And so she's going, grab a colour. Now, for me, colours don't, I don't attach meaning to colours, all right? I mean, I talk to Dale, she does. Oh, yeah, this means that, that means that. So I just picked green. And she says, now draw something with it. Well, my artistic talent is stick figures. <laughs> yeah, I can't even write neat. So I just sort of did a little, like a square scribble. She goes, hmm, that didn't work. I'm going, I've got trust issues, remember? And I've just been told by the counsellor that uh, that didn't work. And I don't know what didn't work. And I'm going, what do you mean that didn't work? She goes, pick another colour. So I grabbed the blue. So I'm thinking, remember not to come back here again. Yeah. I think it was one of those free sessions. She goes, draw something with that. So next to my green square, I did a blue square. Hmm, that didn't work. What do you mean that didn't work? You're supposed to draw something. I said, I did. No, 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 you're supposed to draw what you feel. I said, but that's one of the things is, you know, it takes me about two weeks to work out how I feel about something. I thought, all I feel like doing right now is walking out the door. And so she's, then we got her, she goes, how about we do faces? We can draw faces about how you're feeling. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. So at the end of about 45 minutes of this session going round and round nowhere, and I left and went, that was that. And so now Dale hassles me. She goes, what face are you feeling? What colour is it? <laughs> and I, I know about three faces, you know, the happy, sad, and, you know. And, and colours, I mean, and, and I thought of Dale, I said, so what, what's about the colours? She says, well, if you are, how are you feeling right now? I said, oh, fine. She said, what colour would you choose now? I said, I'd choose blue. She said, why? I said, because blue's my favourite colour. So if I'm feeling happy, I choose blue. She says, but if you choose blue in like most sessions, it's actually a depression thing. She goes, well, what about yellow? I said, I don't really like yellow. I'm not a fan of yellow. She says, yellow's the happy color. I said, I wouldn't choose yellow. <laughs> See, this lady had this whole thing about, it was about her issues. It was about what she wanted to come out of it. All right? Whereas the commitment in that relationship of her as counselor was to assist me with my stuff. And she didn't keep her promise. And so our trust was broken. And no, I didn't go back. Even though she strongly suggested I come back for another session. I thought, why would you even say that? You don't want me coming back. You don't want to go through another 45 minutes of this. This is the thing. We go back to our first point about understanding each other. It comes from listening. And she wasn't listening to what I was saying. She was bringing all her stuff in there. And she had her preconceived ideas about how things should go. Oh, these are my strengths and this is what I do. So, you know, we're going through this. And so she broke her commitment to listen to me because she gave me a sign thing that said this is what she would do. All right? And so there's no trust and so I'm not going back. It's the same in our relationships. When we commit to being there for each other, we need to listen to what we're actually committing to. Trust is built. Trust is key, I should say, to a strong relationship. But you have to listen to what the other person is saying. As far as what they're saying is not what they're really saying. That's why we need to really take time to listen and give people time to express. Like I said, it takes me about two weeks to work out how I'm feeling. I think it's a guy thing. We just want to do that, you know? And so 
as women, I really encourage you to give your guy that time. But guys, understand that your woman probably knows where she is. She knows where you are probably before you even get there. So take the time to listen to her, to put aside all those thoughts and listen. Number three, tip number three is give some respect. Yeah, Aretha Franklin, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. <coughs> Sorry, did I miss a slide? I haven't got a copy of my slide. Hey, I don't have a respect slide. Okay, this is what you get for using computers that aren't yours. Respect. It's impossible to have a deep relationship with anybody if you don't respect them, all right? Or if they don't respect you. The number one thing is, I always think of Jesus' command. He said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said the second is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you don't have respect for yourself, you actually can't have respect for other people. If you don't respect who you are, you can't respect anybody else. So you need to sort that out in your head. We need to work out who we are in God. When you know who you are in God, then you can extend love to other people. But we need to respect other people. We need to care about other people. Take time to listen to them. Respect them as a person. When we're on camp, we do that really cool thing of you know, having that special person and going around and doing things for that special person. Yeah? And it shows that you cared about somebody other than yourself. And it's a sign of showing respect for them, that you take time to think about how you can be a blessing to somebody else. You know, we still do it in our family. We've been doing it for, for ages. Every Thursday night, we say who our special person was, and we pull out somebody else from the little bowl. The big bowl's getting bigger, everything, every time we do it. Same amount of names, but just a bigger bowl. And it's really cool, because, you know, you go to the shops, and you're thinking, and I now have to put it on my app who my, who my person is, because I keep forgetting otherwise, because, you know, it changes every week. And, you know, pull it out. Oh, who have I got this week? Cool. What can I get for them? What can I do for them? And it changes how you think away from thinking for yourself and thinking about the other person and thinking about what would they like, not would I like or what would I like to give them, but what would they like. And when you respect somebody, that is how you think. How can I impact their world? How do I care about them enough to impact their world? Number four is offer encouragement on the home stretch. I am... Um, did this workshop, in fact, I did it twice this week, which wasn't the fun bit. Um, I had a guy come over from the US, and I can't believe we paid for this guy to come over from the US to do this, but it's all right. The organization I work for paid for this guy to come over to tell us about stories and how to tell stories. And so Wednesday, I had a full day workshop about our values as an organization and the stories behind them and how we can tell these stories. And I labored through that day because it just wasn't my sort of touchy feeling. It was the equivalent of being with the counselor and the coloring in and the faces, I'm telling you now. It, it was up there with that. And I didn't even get a good lunch because by the time I got to lunch, because I was sort of one of the guys helping organize the day, most of the food had gone. And there was like this vegetable, I don't know what it was, thing left. And there was not even any salad left. And it was like one of those, you know, those days you get home, you're just glad you got home, you know. But the really sad was I get home about, you know, I think it was half past four, quarter to five, and, and I'm thinking, I'm going to go through it again tomorrow. Because they'd organized, that one, first day wasn't like an internal day. The next day was an external day. They organized people to come in, but they made a mistake of putting it on the same day as a major conference for the industry. And so they had like literally six people coming to this big day. And so my boss said, you need to be there to make up numbers. I'm going to go through that whole session again. Thankfully, it was only 9 till 1, not till like 4.30 again. And so 
I'm, I'm in this session on day two going, I can't believe this, I can't believe this. And I actually got something out of it because I changed my attitude. And he had some good things to say. But, but one thing that came up in that was he says, Why, what's the story that causes you to do what you do? And I thought, that is actually a really good question. What's the story in your life? And we're going to do this sometime, camp or, you know, hanging around. What is the story that gets you to do what you do? And I had to really think about that. And the problem was that you weren't supposed to think about it while someone else was telling their story. And as well, there's, there's 10 rules you had to go by, which were good and helpful, but not really helpful if you don't know what your story is as to why you do what you do. And so I'm actually sitting there thinking, why do I do what I do? And I realized that I do what I do because when I grew up on this Aboriginal mission, I'd see these kids come in who'd been abused and, and deformed in so many ways by, by family and friends close to them and see them going back out again and seeing them coming back in. And these guys became my world. And then when I got to school, I discovered that you know, because they were largely Aboriginal, they were not really accepted at that time in that environment. Right? But I'm sort of going... But these are my friends, and these are my friends too. And what I discovered was that both sides would say horrible things to each other um, all through school, and that all through school, really, it became about people saying horrible things to them all the time. And I remember going, why do people do this? Why do they try and pull each other down? And I worked out that I do what I do, that I am a a minister, and, and that I live my life, and that I'm even at Baptist care and doing what I do, is because I want to encourage people to become who God made them to be. Because when I grew up, I saw people being told that they couldn't be who God made them to be. And that was a bit of a, you know, sunrise moment. Much more than counsellor ever did, you know. But this is why I do what I do. And, you know, one of my life's motto is to be all God made you to be. That I see myself as a person who raises others up to be who God made them to be. And that's our story. That if you encourage people, and about the same time, about two days before this, I was reading a, a John Maxwell thing, and, and a guy who actually knows John Maxwell, who's a leader, and was talking about John's influence, and he says, when John walks into a room, the, f- the first 30 seconds of meeting somebody, he tries to find something great to say about them. And I thought, isn't that really cool? And he equated it to a guy, it was in, in, um, it was in American football, but let me bring it up to Australian football so it has context. It's like the guy that is taking a shot on goal, you know, and, and he's, or he's a full forward. And it's one of those big games, the ball keeps coming into full forward, and this guy keeps dropping the mark. Like, you know, normally he doesn't, he's you know, normally a pretty good player, but this day, you know, grand final, Pavlich sitting at full forward, dropping the mark, dropping the mark, dropping the mark. And by the end of the game, they lost, mainly because this guy kept dropping the mark. And he got chewed out by the coach at halftime because he keeps dropping the marks that he should be taking. You know, and every time he goes to handball, he just handballs the opposition. They're running out of defense. And he's just having one of those games. And this guy was, was a young player. He was only a second-year player. And, um, you know, they went back into the change rooms and, and the coach walked in and they'd lost by, you know, some margin. It was all over. And this guy was just sitting there looking down the ground. He was just about in tears. And he's totally dejected. Because he knows that one of the main reasons they lost was because he just failed dismally. He just had a lousy game. You know, he's only a second-year player. And he's thinking, oh, is my career over? You're going to trade me off. It's no good. And the coach walked by him, and he patted him on the shoulder, and he said, one day, you're going to be the greatest full forward that ever played this game. 
and walked off. And that's all he said at the end of the game to this guy. And obviously putting into an NFL situation, it was like a quarterback type receiver thing. And he said, this guy actually sat there. And what that coach said in that moment inspired him to become, five years later, the most valuable player of the whole league. Not just for one year, but three years running. Just because that guy spoke those words into his life. And he was someone he respected. And he believed what he said. And I thought about that and I thought, you know what? Every day we meet people. And we're always looking for people to say things about us. And we want someone to say something nice about us. What if we said something nice about them? What if we spoke into their lives? You could change somebody's lives by the words you speak in those first 30 seconds. What do you say to your spouse? What are you saying to your kids? What are you saying to your parents? What are you saying to the people in your world? Are you telling them that they can be who God made them to be? Do you build them up? Do you encourage them? Not just once, but day after day after day. Do you give them the opportunity to shine? A reporter once asked Andrew Carnegie, who was a great entrepreneur of a previous generation, why he hired 43 millionaires to work for him. 43 of his employees were millionaires. And he said, why did you hire millionaires? Carnegie pointed out that none of those men were millionaires when they started working for him. The reporter then said, well, how did you develop these men to become so valuable to you that you paid them so much money? He said, I developed in the same way that gold is mined. When gold's mined, several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. But you don't go into a mine looking for dirt. You go looking for gold. When you meet people, what are you looking for? The dirt will always shine through. The dirt will always be evident. It's easy to see the dirt. But do you see the gold? Do you see the gold in people? Yeah, sometimes the gold's there and it gets covered up again. Uncover it with the words that you speak. Let me give you some tips on how to offer encouragement. First thing you can do is smile. Do you smile in your day? I make a habit of walking around my workplace. I, I don't like being there. I really don't. It saps my energy. I'm there because it gives me money to take care of my family and for us to, to keep the church going. And I have a bit of fun on the way. But it's not a great place to be. But you know what? I know I have a choice when I work in there. I can either smile or I can be grumpy. When you smile, you impact people. So smile. Never underestimate the power of a smile. Have fun. Walk down the street and smile. It messes with people's heads. Because they'll start smiling. They don't know why. And you know what? Then there are people behind you are walking the same way as you are smiling because they're smiling at them. You can create this smile wave right across the city. Second thing you can do is buy your words. Hit the button. Any time now. Encourage people by your words. I had a great saying. Someone said, man doesn't live by bread alone. He also needs buttering up. Words are powerful. They can do harm or they can do good. The third thing you can do is point out the positive. You're jumping ahead of me now. You can point out the positive. In a negative world, be the little smiley yellow face that shines. There's a positive in everything. And number four, give gifts. All right? Barnabas transformed the whole church by selling his land and bringing the gifts and laying it. It changed how they operated. I'm not saying you have to go and sell your property, but give gifts. People like gifts. Celebrate it when they get there. All right, final tip. We sort of touched on before is forgive and ask for forgiveness. All right? Anyone who's a family, anyone around people knows that people are going to do the wrong thing by you. Yeah? People are going to do the wrong thing by you sometime. Just forgive them. Get over it. All right? It's not worth it. Let me finish with a story. Does the Spanish have a story about a father and son who became estranged? 
The son left home upset with the father, and the father later set out to find him. He searched for months with no success. Finally, in desperation, the father turned to a newspaper for help. He, he had put an ad in that simply read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 young men named Paco showed up looking for forgiveness and love from estranged fathers. Families today are filled with people who are desperate for reconciliation. We live in a world where they're put down, they're shut out, they're unforgiven. You know, the ultimate is that God forgives us. He gave us forgiveness. He gave us his love. Let's just recap over those. Understand each other. Keep commitments. Give respect. Offer encouragement and ask and receive forgiveness. When you think about it, they're actually really, really simple things to do. They just take a bit of time and a bit of thought. But think about it. If I told you by investing an hour a week, you could become a millionaire, would you do it? If I told you by investing 15 minutes a day, you would become wealthy, would you do it? You invest 15 minutes in your relationships a day. Just 15 minutes to say a kind word, to spend some time, to actually listen. You can change your world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have forgiven us. Thank you that you hear us and you know us. Help us to be sensitive to people around us. Help us to hear what they really say, to know what they really feel, to understand, to put ourselves aside just like you did, to forgive and to really hear. We may be a church of strong relationships, united together, glorifying you. Teach us to love as you love us, that you may be glorified through us. In Jesus' name, amen.